platform was like up and running literally in weeks after the pandemic hit. And through this platform, they reckon they saved 2,000 jobs. So it's also about saving jobs by redeploying people effectively, more effectively when the times are, are needed. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there. Welcome to We're Only Human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host, and goodness, it's going to be a great episode today. I'm so excited to have you here with me. You know, I, I love to talk recruiting, and it's funny because people that know me personally know I'm actually kind of shy in person. I'm, I'm not like out there. I don't talk to everybody I meet. It's just not who I am. And yet, when I was in the trenches working as an HR leader, one of the things that I thought I would hate but ended up loving the most was recruiting. And ultimately, it, when I've kind of puzzled through it, talked to people, things like that. I found there's that's a common kind of thread. And one of the things that leads to that is you get excited about talking about the culture, about the position, about the company, about the, the, the opportunities, and not just about yourself. And so that's why I loved about it, I think, and probably why it, it worked for me. Now, I say that because I am working on some new research, going to share some of those things with you shortly here. And we're doing some research We've done this research on talent acquisition leaders um, from 850 plus companies. We're talking to them about what their priorities are, what they're thinking about for the coming year, how things have changed pre and post pandemic. And so that report's coming out very, very soon. We're working on that. You can sign up to get that if you're curious or you want to see some of our research. We're doing a lot this year at LHRA for Lighthouse Research and Advisory. So LHRA.io slash research. And there's a link there to sign up and get research updates and all the other fun stuff. So you can do that. A couple of quick things, because we're talking about the episode today is with a, a longtime friend of mine. We're going to talk about recruiting and what matters and how they're serving um, serving employers in the recruiting space. It's a fun conversation. But I'm going to give you a couple of quick hits from that study, just so you'll have some some insight there. And again, the report has so much more, has some actual data, some charts, and all that fun stuff. But just a couple things here for you. So we asked about priorities last year before the pandemic. We asked about priorities for the coming year, so into 2022 even. And one of the things that stood out was there was a 300% increase in companies saying that for this year, video interviewing is a major, major priority. What's interesting is that's not just asking about last year. That's asking about into the coming year. And so that's going to be a big priority is video interviewing. Probably not a surprise there. The second one, though, is virtual hiring. So how do we hire, screen, engage, connect with people that we're not physically seeing? That's going to continue to be a big priority for employers. Another one there was hiring manager relations. How do we get our hiring managers in the loop? Because in the last year, many hiring managers had to hire someone they couldn't see, and it's a first for them. And so a big player in that is the recruiting team. How do we in, engage those hiring managers? How do we make sure they're in the loop? How do we make sure that they're they're focused on the right things and that we're we're moving forward and making progress? All right, so there's some interesting things that came out in the research there. A couple of things really quick. Those are big priorities. Seven out of 10 companies expect to do more location agnostic hiring. In nerd speak, location agnostic, that just means remote hiring. We're hiring people even if they're not 
in physical or geographical proximity to our office, we're going to hire them anyway because we expect to have some more flexibility. That's a phenomenal thing, by the way. That opens up new talent pools. That also enables us to be more diverse and hire people that, that we might not have otherwise considered in the past. So I'm really excited about that one. Two out of every three companies. So if I put up three, three leaders in front of you, two out of three of them said, 2020 exposed these critical gaps in our recruiting technology. It really showed us where the cracks in the foundation were, and 20% of those companies haven't fixed the gaps yet. So there's still opportunity, and there's still a lot of going to be a lot of fast-paced action in our space this year as come to trying to figure out, okay, how do we continue evolving, adapting, changing so that we can meet those needs of the candidates and also meet the needs the business has of us as we're ramping back up. And we're hearing that from a lot of companies. They're trying to get back up to full speed, and even some of them are running faster than they were pre-pandemic, which is exciting to hear. Um, while, so there's an interesting thing in the study where diversity hiring as a top priority fell a little bit, but what's interesting is it fell only because other things had to be more, more critical, like how do we video interview people, right, whether they're diverse or not, how do we video interview anyone or virtually hire anyone? So those things came to the top and pushed it down just a little bit, but what's really powerful is we found multiple instances throughout the study. I've got about half a dozen kind of my fingertips where companies went past just saying, okay, it's important to us to, here's what we're doing to solve that problem. Here's how we're trying to make sure we're, we're being more diverse, we're more inclusive in our hiring, all those kinds of things. And there were some really interesting findings there that excite me, that companies are going beyond just talking to actually doing. And then one of the last things I'll share, this, I love the data stuff, as you can tell. Um, I'll make sure and put in the show notes. I did a kind of a research preview a week ago on the HR Tech Talks live stream show that I run. And I did a little bit of a research preview. Um, we had a guest that missed the cue for when to show up for their for their appearance. And so I said, hey, may I also take that as a sign, as a, a chance to share some of this new data. So I shared a little bit of this in a short conversation there. If you want to see some of the actual visuals, some of the graphics, see some other things I'm not talking about now. But one of the last things I get excited about personally is talent mobility. How do people move inside the business? How do we bring them in and also make them excited about what's next? And over the years, I've made it a habit of collecting stories of different companies that have taken unique approaches to that. Right? Chipotle, actually an episode, one of the very early episodes of We're Only Human, I talked through five or six of those stories just because I was so excited about them. I love talking about them. Like Chipotle, one of the things they, they did that cut their manager turnover in half is they said, we are no longer going to hire a manager from another uh, restaurant. We're not going to hire a manager from some other organization. We're going to hire managers from within our own ranks. We're going to find someone here that's doing a great job, and we're going to elevate them into leadership and help them to become a leader. Right? And so there's so many good stories of mobility inside the business and, and examples of companies doing that. So we saw in the research that companies were three times more likely to say that talent ability is a priority, and it has increased in the last 12 to 24 months. So more companies are looking at that, and they're taking a, a talent acquisition perspective of that, not just an HR or a succession or a talent management or learning perspective, but a talent acquisition perspective of how do we find the people in the business that are doing good things and hire them again for another type of job or another role. So, so many fun things there. I'm going to stop talking because we've got an episode to get to. So today I'm going to talk to Jerome. He is the, the founder of Smart Recruiters. He and I, again, we'll, we'll laugh about it a little bit. I, one of the first tools I ever put my hands on when I was a recruiter, 
way back in 2009-2010 was smart recruiters. And I got to use that tool and it was it was a ton of fun uh, just to kind of explore and learn more about wow I don't have to do this stuff manually anymore. Someone can actually apply on the internet? What in the world? That's crazy. And it was so much fun to, to see that evolution over time and what they've become, what the company's done. And we're not going to talk about the product so much. We're going to talk about companies they serve. We're going to talk about what priorities exist today for TA leaders. We're talking about candidate experience and inclusion. So there's some really great tips, concepts, strategies in this that are going to help you as you're thinking about hiring for the coming year, in addition to all the research I just shared with you. So again, I'll make sure our link's in the show notes so you can go see that live stream if you want to. And if you want to get the, the research as well, I'll make sure that link is in so you can go and sign up so you get that research update the minute it drops because that report's coming out any day now. By the time this episode goes live, it may, it may be out there already. So we'll see. So thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you. I'm so excited about sharing this. As you can tell in my voice, I'm just super passionate about research, not for its own sake. Right? Research in its, in its own is just a bunch of numbers. But if it helps us to serve people better, if it helps us to understand decisions to make, if it help us, helps us to, to be better leaders in the business, that excites me. All right. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to We're Only Human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host. I'm so excited to have you here with me. And I'm going to be talking to someone. I've got to tell you, it'll probably come out in the conversation anyway. So I'll go ahead and just tell you. This is the first piece of talent slash HR software that I ever used in my entire HR career years and years ago. And they're, they've come so far. They're doing some amazing things. They've, they're an amazing, accomplished company. And they're still, the same company was still founded by Jerome, who's the founder of Smart Recruiters. Jerome, sir, welcome to the conversation. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Tell the audience a little bit about who you are, Jerome, what you do, and tell what your background is. Yeah, sure. My name is Jerome Turning. I'm the founder and CEO of Smart Recruiters. We're an enterprise talent acquisition suite, kind of the generational successor to that ATS that you love to hate. And I started the company about 10 years ago, and we serve about a thousand enterprises, really helping organizations achieve hiring success, the ability to hire amazing talent on demand, which is what every CEO wants in the world. And we serve mostly enterprises, large companies, so think Bosch or Visa, Ikea, Twitter, LinkedIn, so bigger, bigger orgs. And we've been on a good ride. I'm based out of San Francisco and I've been in recruiting and recruiting tech for a long time. So that's kind of my passion. I'm on a mission to connect people to jobs at scale. I love that. I love the mission for smart recruiters. It's always been front and center and you and the team have done some really innovative things over the years to highlight that, to emphasize that, to make that a priority. I remember zero unemployment, I believe years and years ago was one of the, one of the, the slogans around that. And so I've been connected for a long time. I usually don't sound like a fanboy, but today I might just let it go and, and just let it run. <laughs> when you're not eating and sleeping and breathing smart recruiters, you originally from France, right? You were talking about going back to see your mom. What do you like to do? What do you enjoy doing when you're not having to work? I enjoy sailing. I enjoy spending time with my daughters um, who are both uh, here in the U.S. with me. I do enjoy uh, some Frenchy things like good wines and traveling around. And I have to say, I really enjoy my work. I'm not going to be cheesy on this one, but I'm having a lot of fun here to, in making an impact and a difference. I, I spend 
my non-work time, also volunteering, helping people from underprivileged groups find jobs. So we have this reverse recruiting movement that we started where we mentor job seekers. And so I, I do quite a bit of that. I also mentor people that are incarcerated. So I, I do some some programs at a prison here in, in California. So those are my kind of activities outside of work. Hey, there's no there's no reason. I'm glad you said that with the work piece of that because I'm, I'm always careful. This is what this is who I am. And oh, by the way, this is what I do. And it's hard to break those things apart because if you're really passionate about what you do, it's that's not a thing to be worried about, be ashamed of. And it's just a part of who you are. And that, that alignment is clear. As someone listening, you can hear the things you like to do. Even when you're not having to work, you're still volunteering and giving your time and everything. So that's a ton of fun. So let's talk about what's happened, what we're seeing in this year. Remote hiring is a big, a big trend. We're seeing remote everything popping up. I'd love for you to, to take us through what you're hearing from customers, what sort of interactions you've had around that piece of it, the urgency, obviously, early on in, in the COVID conversation. But what are you hearing from your clients and customers around this discussion about remote hiring? Is that changing? Is it continuing? Is this going to be the new default standard? I think remote is here to stay for sure. Some people, when I was asked at a conference the other day, what advice would you give to a CEO who's thinking about going remote once everything is over? And I'm like, I said to that person, I said, I got news for you. I, you are already remote. Like, when the pandemic is over, and it will be over soon, I think, as vaccines come available and so on, the question is, what percentage of your employees are, gonna, are you going to get back to the office? Is it 50%? Is it 75%? Is it maybe 80% if you force it? Okay, fine, I'll give you 80%. So what are you going to do with the 20% that are not coming back, that have moved, that have actually made other plans since? So you're going to fire them? No, you're going to learn to continue to operate in a remote world. So now you're going to have employees that are remote. And that means you got to be remote first because you cannot afford to have those employees that are mostly remote or remote most of the time, not working well. So you got to learn how to work remotely. So I think remote is entirely here to stay, uh, whether we like it or not. And I think we might as well embrace it because it's going to do a lot of good for uh, society in general in uh, bringing opportunity and wealth to communities that typically didn't have it. So I'm very excited for remote. But it's clear that for talent acquisition, it means a lot of change. And I think that's maybe uh, what you want uh, to double click on. And it's really uh, two sides to it. It's like, how do I source candidates for positions that are remote? One part of the question. And second part of the question, how do I actually hire people when my own hiring teams are remote? And I'll start with the second one, because... When we all went remote, we realized that actually being remote means that as a team, we have to collaborate and we have to be really good at our processes. And if your hiring process was, we have an outdated ATS that nobody uses, we email resumes to managers, we discuss their feedback at the water cooler when they have a chance and we make decisions that are somewhat, let's say, arbitrary on hiring, which is what most organizations are still going through, then suddenly your process really doesn't work at all because there is no collaboration. So we've seen really companies prioritize collaborative hiring as a result and making sure that they're able to drive a consistent hiring process with a clearly identified hiring teams with clear steps in a process that are being respected with a, a interviews that have clear scorecards where interviewers do fill in the scorecards and where decisions are made 
on objective, documented criteria for the job, essentially focusing on what candidates must achieve rather than what must have. This is the whole diversity. We could talk about this as well. But the point being is, if your hiring process isn't great, then you being remote really encourages a lot of hiring mistakes. If you have good collaboration in the hiring team, then you can embrace remote hiring uh, very easily. And it actually uh, doesn't make much of a difference in my mind. As I'm listening to you talk about some of those things, I'm thinking if someone's hiring hiring process a year ago was held together with duct tape and bailing wires, we say around here, I was just barely holding together. This really shows the cracks in that foundation. It shows you those holes, those issues. And I actually had a, a, a hire manager's mind, face my mind as you were talking about you know, chasing them for responses or I need feedback on these candidates. Which of these people should we be calling in for an interview? And some managers are slow to respond. So those process issues and the other gaps there are really amplified. It sounds like with the, the going remote, suddenly it reinforces the need to really be buttoned up, to be squared away on your processes, to have those things in place, to have the, the right tools, even down to, as you are saying, kind of interview scorecards. You have to have the right things in place to enable that. Otherwise, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I think the single point of failure here is the hiring manager. You can force your recruiters to work in a, whatever way you decide with whatever system and so on. But if the, hiring, if the hiring managers are not playing with you, if they are not using your recruitment software because you're using the HR mod, the recruiting module of your HR system and they're like, ah, I don't do that, uh, or you're having an old, an old ATS, if the recruiting collaboration doesn't um, happen in a system, then you're not going to get, you're not going to be successful. And we actually, we actually had a case, we signed an organization now that um, a very large uh, tech finance company, 17,000 employees. They're really uh, 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 growing really fast now in this remote world, famous name that I won't say, but uh, they were on Workday. They'd been on Workday recruiting for years. And so their hiring managers were like, this is not working for us. Like we, you cannot force us to be in there. There is no collaboration. Yes, this is our HR system. It's great for workflows. We get approval, we get processes, we get salaries, we get vacation, we get all of that. But we need the collaboration around recruiting. Can we can we get something different? And they actually ended up funding the the flip from work they're recruiting to smart recruiters, so that recruiters, candidates, and hiring managers have a collaborative platform that's actually designed for hiring, where they can work together, so that they actually can continue to hire while being remote. And this was really just a mission critical to the point, as I was saying, that the business funded uh, the project for TIA because TIA was like, yeah, I would love to actually get my own talent acquisition suite. This is going to be a hundred times better for me, but I don't have the budget and IT is forcing me to stay on work day. And they basically went and said, no, how much is it going to take? And they funded it, which at the end actually uh, uh, ended up making a saving for them. But I think collaboration is at the heart. If your hiring managers are not working with you in a tool for hiring, then you probably have a problem. Intriguing. So one of the things you touched on earlier, I'd love to go there now, if you don't mind, the, the DEI conversation, hiring in a more um, equitable way. We, the, the thing that occurred to me as you're saying that is we keep talking about how can we do the right things from an employer perspective? How can we make sure we're doing the right thing? 
to be an inclusive organization and so on. But once people are in the business, there's only so much movement you can do. There's, we can hire from within, we can promote, we can train, but they're already there. We're using what we've got. Talent acquisition still has to be the primary point where we're going to make a shift and say, no, we are going to now prioritize. We're going to hire and make sure we're getting enough women in leadership positions. We're going to do the right thing to make sure we have a representation of people of color in different roles in the business, regardless of what excuses we want to make. We're going to make that priority. I'd love to hear from you. What are you, what is happening out there? What are your customers saying around this as a priority? And I'm just kind of curious, like what's the, the bubble on that? So I couldn't agree more with the fact that hiring is where diversity starts. And when I hear people say, oh, wait, wait, before we make efforts on hiring, we need to be good internally, blah, blah, blah. And they use this as an excuse to actually not do anything Mm. in hiring. That's wrong. And I think we can and should do uh, a lot. We actually actually published some, some weeks ago the 10 principles of diversity hiring. Okay, you want to drive more diversity hiring? What should you do? And we ended up publishing this. We worked with with our customers on it and we published the 10 principles of diversity hiring, which we really are actually... uh, Uh, helping customers implement now and they're not very difficult if you think about it it's hey you need a you want diversity you start by having a a diverse hiring team right so underrepresented groups are overrepresented in your hiring team making sure that anyone who touches hiring is aware so you have awareness training you set yourself with clear representation objectives not necessarily targets i'm not advocating for affirmative action to make a comeback, but really where you stand and you incentivize the executive teams, you make sure your process is an inclusive hiring process. So people with disabilities can still come for an interview, that your job descriptions are neutral in language and and inclusive. And then you source, you give dedicated effort for sourcing underrepresented candidates, which is not difficult, but you have to be specific and source with intent on those underrepresented communities. And then the process goes on. Just make sure you have no bias in screening, that you have structured interviewing with scorecards as we were discussing before, so it's not arbitrary. And then your onboarding is inclusive as well. And that's, those are the, like the 10 core points of diversity hiring. And I would make the final point is a fair internal hiring because you want to solve uh, diver- DE&I in, uh, uh, internally, then stop with making arbitrary promotions that are single-handed, decided by the hiring managers based on all the biases that we can have, right? Make, make hiring internal hiring a fair and transparent process that is subject to exactly the same rules as external hiring. In other words, give internal mobility to talent acquisition and let them organize a process by which the best candidate gets hired internally as well as externally um, using the exact same diversity standards. And I think it's a really important time for TA leaders to step up and lean in and say, oh, you guys want to drive diversity? Yeah, sure, I'm here, I'm going to help. And this is what my team and I are, are going to do. And these are the results we're going to do. And by the way, we need to own internal mobility. We cannot run it as a side project anymore. This needs to be owned by us. Let's. This is the platform we're going to use. This is a fantastic time for TA professionals, talent acquisition professionals to step up and be a real business partner in, in diversity. We did some research last year on this actually. And one of the things that came back to me 
that excited me was we saw diversity, you know, diversity hiring, inclusive hiring. We saw that rising in importance, but we also saw it rise, these other things coming with it. It wasn't just the idea of it. It's easy to get lost in that, as you were saying a minute ago. We've got to have it all right before we can launch this. So we've got to get everything perfect before we make this, make this an established process. And good is the... Great is email good, right? We're, we're going to keep on dragging our feet and never actually do anything. And the research showed that organizations were looking at ways to hire more, more fairly. How do we reduce bias in the hiring process? Some of those kind of things you touched on there. I'm going to make a note to get that into the show notes, the link to that, that guide you mentioned in the show notes. Because I think the people listening to this, that gave you some really tangible, tactical ways to go and attack this. If your organization has said, we believe in this, and suddenly they, they turn to you and say, okay, now you go make that happen. This will give you some ideas on how to put some practical steps in place. Do you have to do all 10 tomorrow? No, absolutely not. But starting somewhere and making progress towards that goal is what's most important. That really demonstrates that commitment and helps you to start doing the right thing. Yeah, it does. And actually to help our our customers or anybody who wants, we've actually uh, turned those 10 diversity standards into a maturity model. So you can actually uh, set yourself the baseline and do a self-assessment of where are you in those 10 best practices, which gives you a baseline to start and, and therefore a commitment uh, that you can build to improve on those areas um, to drive better diversity outcomes. And this whole plan has been driven by our own chief diversity officer, uh, Rocky Howard. And she's been amazing, like literally working with our customers to help drive diversity outcomes. And I'll be honest, we're, it's not like we're making money from this. It's, uh, it's not like we're selling more software, but we decided back in May, we decided to become an anti-racist, anti-discrimination force in the recruiting market. I think for the longest time, I had been on, oh, I'm on the right side of history. Yes, I am white and I have all the privileges that you can think of. But I'm not racist, I'm not discriminating, so I guess I'm okay. But actually, no, it's, it's not okay. There is no such thing as non-racist. You're either racist because you enjoy the system or you're anti-racist uh, because you're actually uh, fighting the system. So we choose our camp and we said, customers who use smart recruiters will achieve better diversity outcomes than those who don't. And this, as part of this plan, this is where we set the diversity standard, the maturity model, and hire the chief diversity officer to actually work with our customers to help them achieve better outcomes. And I, I really am super, super happy to see uh, the amount of positivity and, and activity that's coming from talent acquisition leaders around the world um, to really step up and own diversity hiring. I can't even think of a good way to transition from that one because that was so impactful. It's like a mic drop moment there. One of the things we talked about before we, we went deep there, and I'm so thankful you did because that, that was that it's critical for other leaders to hear you as a leader in your organization going out there and, and saying this, but also backing it up with how you're doing it, what you're doing with some actions and some actual some facts and things. I'm so thankful for that. One thing you touched on earlier is this the internal hiring piece, and you said TA leaders should own that. And I was wondering if you'd revisit that and talk about how it's been run in the past and why you think TA should be the ones leading and championing that within the business. Yeah, historically in many organizations, internal hiring and promotions are, are blurred into one process that looks like the friend of the hiring manager gets the job. It has a DEI impact, but it has... Uh, it also has a business performance impact. And it's the very reason why 80% of Fortune 500 employees say that it's actually easier to find a job outside the company than inside. 
because we've not organized uh, ourselves for internal hiring in a transparent and effective way. So what we've been advocating for is, sure, you you have your HR-led processes that are the top-down succession planning, career development, mentoring, and you're obviously moving your teams forward. That's all great. But when it comes to connecting people to opportunities internally, this is where talent acquisition can help. And we're seeing customers use uh, the full range of sourcing, marketing, referral, and and matching tools that uh, they normally use for external candidates use this internally. And they build an internal skills uh, marketplace, if you will, so they can actually go and source candidates from internal sources. And that's particularly important right now as we're in an economic downturn coming out of a pandemic, uh, obviously we all hope soon, And right now, your internal resources really need to be considered for every job. Like under no circumstances should you let someone go if there was another opportunity for that person internally, or should you hire somebody externally if there is actually a good internal candidate. That happens every day. So we are advocating for TA to really let let your hunters hunt internally, I guess is a simple way of saying it. Use your CRM to build communities of internal employees who want to progress in this area or are up for redeployment or who want to evolve their careers, like market jobs to your employees, make newsletter, like be an active marketer of opportunity and break the silos. Anybody can apply to any job. It's a simple place to start. Anyone internally can apply to any job. You, The CEO job is up for grabs. You want to apply, go for it. Apply for it. Let's not put silos like you are not allowed to apply to a job unless you, for example, you have approval from your manager. Duh, if I'm not happy with my manager, like the last thing I want is get an approval from my manager. So break down the barriers, give internal mobility to recruiters. I'm over here laughing at that. We want you to tell the person you're not getting along with that you're not getting along with them so much that you're now looking for another job in the business. That's going to go really well. Good luck with that. That's going to really encourage people to want to apply within the business. And that's that's why you get stats like you mentioned earlier. People say it's easier to find something outside, not just because of the visibility. It's easier to find something because we don't make that available and transparent internally in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. but also because some of those processes and some of those approvals, the workflows we have around it, actually discourage people from looking for other jobs because it's put them out in the cold if they end up not getting it or or whatever else. So that's such an important piece. I'm glad you touched on that. Yeah. And the managers aren't incentivized to let go their best performers. Absolutely not. So unless you force it, unless you create transparency, you basically are creating dead end careers for your top performers. I'm glad you said top performers there because that's the thing that people just don't, for some reason, people don't latch onto that. But if all the people in the business, if you had to, Stack ranking is a bad idea, okay? But if you had to, in your head, think about who are the handful of people who are our best performers overall, they're the ones that are going most frustrated by this. It's not the people who are just okay at their jobs and hoping that they you know, come to work and have a job tomorrow. They're going to be, you know, they're just getting by. But for the, the top performers, the ones who are always pushing the boundaries, who are always going above and beyond, they're the ones that are most chafed by these very restrictive approaches and very... Uh, siloed kind of uh, processes and things like that. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that's something I always reiterate when I hear it because we sometimes forget it's okay. if someone doesn't want to move up or they don't want to do this, well, that's on them. But if you said, if it's okay to lose that person who does twice the work of somebody else because they are they have that certain skill set or they have that certain drive, suddenly you start they realize the impact of that when you start putting faces on it and making them think about losing some of those people that they 
they really don't want to want don't want to give up. And in a world, sorry, I was just going to add, in a world where you have a lot of moving pieces in the business, transparency is necessary. As an example, we worked with one of our customer called Publicis, which is like a ninety thousand employee uh, marketing and communications group. And in the middle of the pandemic, they said, "Oh my God, we need to ensure that anybody who doesn't have a job who's." whose projects were stopped can apply to any jobs internally, even if it's for short-term period. And so they asked TA, like, could we use our, our TA platform to create a gigs platform where anyone can apply for any project anywhere in the group? And of course, that project like went, like the number of internal applications went through the roof and people would just take on a job for a month or for three months while their other projects were, or they were instead of being furloughed or, right? And through this mechanism, the platform was like up and running literally in weeks after the pandemic hit. And through this platform, they reckon they saved 2000 jobs. So it's also about saving jobs by redeploying people effectively, more effectively when the times are, are needed. You know, that's really interesting because we actually just did the research on this and found that when employers are trying to support those those people that are looking for internal opportunities, they're trying to support internal hiring accountability, the number one way they're doing that is they're redeploying, they're reusing these recruiting tools to try to solve that problem. The second most common way is they're actually looking for, they're trying to buy and implement a purpose-built platform to support talent marketplaces inside the business, which essentially, like you said, it's about managers, leaders can post opportunities. We need these skills. We need this amount of time. And the employees inside the business can actually raise their hands and say, I want to do that. I have that skill. I have that availability. And in the last year, there were a lot of opportunities probably with the things shifting, a lot of chaos. But going forward, that creates connections for people. It gives them opportunities to really serve the business, to really play to their strengths, to show what they bring to the table. And the the companies get to create that positive experience all over again where they say, hey, we want you. We want what you have to offer. We want you bring to the table. And we think you're valuable. Wow. Okay. You are full of stories, and I love that about you. <laughs> this is so fun. <laughs> I, could, I feel like I could ask you questions all day. One of the things you touched on earlier is the fact you said, hey, the economy is an issue, and we all can acknowledge that. I'm curious how you are talking with TA leaders when you're interacting with them. You mentioned there have been companies you've, you've worked with in the last few months that are now buying new technology, even in the midst of the pandemic that's still going on. And I'm curious how you are having conversations with them or helping them to have better discussions with their stakeholders inside the business. What sort of tools, what sort of advice would you give someone listening to this that's saying, hey, we'd really love to, to invest in, to, in the technology or we'd love to invest in something to help us be more effective at serving our candidates, serving our employees. My, my, my leaders are going to push back on that. What advice would you give someone listening to that on how to build a better relationship or have a better conversation with their internal teams to be able to get something like that on the agenda? Yeah. Yeah. So we've worked with a lot of TA leaders this year, actually, to do that, to do exactly that. Because as a TA leader, I know that like now is the time. Like for the last 10 years, I was busy feeling wrecked, like hand over fist, hiring, hiring. And now, finally, for the first time, I have time. And I have time to actually improve my processes. The problem is I'm not going to get any budget approved uh, by the CFO at this moment in time. There is no appetite in most organizations, right? There's no appetite for additional spend. But there's a big appetite for digitalization and transformation and accelerated transformation. So I think the one advice I would give is go to the CFO with a clear financial business case. 
that that spells out exactly what you're going to gain. And it's not hard, right? It goes like this. It says, and if you look at like where you're spending money, right? You're spending money on technology. You're spending money on sourcing, like finding candidates, and you're spending money on your processes and your people, right? So you go and and you build your business case uh, around those three core things, which is one: Hey, boss, we have this old ATS system that we've had for decades. We don't really use it, but it's our system of record, whatever. And then we put on it a CRM, and then we have this marketing tool, and then an apply tool, and then a job distribution distribution and a chatbot and this and that. This is all pretty expensive and a Frankenstein architecture. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to take all of this and I'm going to simplify it and turn it into one platform and uh, save myself money. Second, this new platform that we have, this new talent acquisition suite will convert candidates four times better than the old system, which nobody wanted to use, which effectively means I'm going to be able to reduce my sourcing spend in direct sourcing, in advertising, in overall agency usage. My sourcing will become way more effective. And then we'll finally have a platform that that hiring managers love using and that we can drive collaboration, automation and efficiency. And so I've looked at all the processes. I reckon I probably can restart with two thirds of the team I had before the pandemic. Here is the business case. Going to save money on technology. I'm going to save money on processes, on uh, sourcing. And I'm going to either save money or increase the quality of service um, on processes. Honestly, this business case is very clear. It's easy to go through. And now you have the time to do it. And then you can drive accelerated transformation. I'll give you one example. They just went uh, went live in November. We signed with H&M, H&M the closing brand, 160,000 employees. We signed them in April. And the team were like, all of their shops were closed back in April. And we were like, guys, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, 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 all the shops are closed. Let's go. And within six months, they went live, global deployment, 77 countries, tele-replacement. And they suddenly now have a good, new baseline to actually restart, rehire, reopen, and they've managed to digitalize recruiting in six months. I think that's a really good case that there is appetite for transformation. There is appetite for digitalization. And if you step up as a TA leader with the right uh, business case, you're going to get an approval. Step up. Bring the data. That's the, the key takeaways I got from that piece, that piece of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just about this is how I feel, this is an idea that I had, or I was reading this, but this is the data, these are the real facts, these are the figures. We're gonna have a conversation about this. I love that. Jerome, one of the things I'm gonna make sure we get that that 10 strategies for diverse hiring, that piece of it into the show notes. But if someone's curious, wants to learn more about smart recruiters, what's the best way to do that? I think there are two destinations. Obviously, you can go to smartrecruiters.com um, and and look at what we do, ask for a demo if you're interested. Um, then if you want to learn more about hiring success, you can check out hiringsuccess.com, which has a lot of the methodology, the business case builder. It has a guide to the definitive guide to hiring success and a lot of masterclass around hiring success. And all of this content is really about TA stepping up and using this moment to become a true business partner. Excellent. Uh, I always thank a guest at the end uh, for their time, but I'm also going to thank you for your passion because it is making this space better. You've surrounded yourself with a great team there. And I just, I'm so thankful for, for you being in this space. You could have been in marketing or any other kind of industry and thank goodness recruiting has you because it's making all of us better, not just through the conversation today, but, but through the impact you've had over the last many years and will continue to have hopefully for as long as you're around. So thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's actually a really nice, uh, nice thing to say. Thank you, Ben.
Absolutely. To everybody else, we appreciate you for joining us today on We're Early Human. I hope you enjoyed the stories and the takeaways. I'm Ben Eubanks, and we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com.